Well, good morning, Veritas. How are we doing today? Good, good. I know I can barely hear with all of the muffled uh, deals, but I know that you're here, um, and we are excited to be with you. Um, I do bring greetings from uh, Reconciled Community Church in Cincinnati. Uh, we are excited uh, to be joining you all this morning. In fact, at the 9 and 11, there will be uh, some of the Reconciled crew hanging out via live stream, um, and so know that your brothers and sisters in Cincinnati are with you today, and it's uh, always fun to come and to really pitch hit for your pastor, who is my good friend, and so I'm thankful uh, to provide that opportunity for him to uh, focus on uh, family right now, and as all of us know, it's an important time for uh, for their household as we are awaiting baby number four, um, and so uh, giving your pastor time to really focus on his family during this time is a great joy for me to do. This morning, we will be in First Peter chapter 1. I would encourage you uh, in those private moments that uh, you share with the Lord uh, to read the whole book of First Peter. It is especially um, uh, appropriate for us in the situation that we find ourselves in today. Uh, but today we will look at First Peter chapter 1 uh, verse 13 through 21. And in a way we may go through the entire chapter just in a little snapshot. But let's start here in verse number 13. It says these words, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but we, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And verse number one says, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the very word of God. Amen. I don't know about you, um, but there's been a lot of pressure lately. I've been feeling a ton of pressure in this life, in this season. Like many of you, 2020 started out and we had, I know for myself, I had many uh, goals and aspirations for this year. Goals and aspirations for my family, goals and aspirations for our church, goals and aspirations for my business, goals and aspirations for another entrepreneurial thing that I have uh, in the works. There were so many goals that were taking place. I was so excited to start my bullet journal, y'all. And then it feels like in rapid succession trials began to surface. So we, we start out with, it seems like this is just an, in, you know, another kind of virus that will just 
sweep through and then just leave. But you know how it is now. COVID-19 has changed everything. And overnight, in one day, I went from having three jobs that I worked to literally trying to make sure that I had one job that will pay me. Pressure. There were the pressures of waking up, and it's always been happening, but now it's starting to be videotaped. I'm starting to see over and over and over again people who look like me being killed unjustly, and there's a pressure there. There's a pressure when I go out to run, and my wife is saying to me, look, Brandon, I love you. I know that you want to do this, but I need you to stay around here. Just in case if something happens, I can get to you quicker. That's pressure. It's people in our church who are nervous about what's happening. In our community, we are seeing people who are slipping through the cracks. They, they didn't get unemployment. They thought they were going to get a raise and they got a pink slip. Pressure. What is the church doing? Pressure. There's just so many things heaping on top of one another. And I didn't even tell you about just pastoring in general. Because then there's, as Paul would say, the day-to-day cares of this world. The day-to-day cares of caring for the churches. There are still people who need counseling. There are still people who are suffering the loss of loved ones. There are still people who are asking that the pastor have a word from God. There are so many pressures that I have been dealing with. And you have been dealing with them too. COVID-19 ain't just impact my life, but I know that it has impacted yours. Some of you right now have been on unemployment, and it is the hardest thing that you've had to do. In a room this size, some people literally have been laid off. You've been, in, you've been cooped up in your house with the person that you love, right? That you wanted to spend forever and a day with. And you're realizing that if you're in a house with another sinner 24-7, that tensions will arise. There's pressure in your relationships. There's pressure in your marriage. There's trials that you are facing. Ever been there? Where you come to church and and you want to come celebrating, but you're kind of limping in here. You don't know if you should be thanking God and and running to give him glory or if you just want to break down and cry. It's the pressures of life. And we find ourselves in this situation where we, we are put up against something. What do we do when it seems like the bottom has fallen out? When the pressures of life are so much, when the trials and the temptations are so much, what are we to do? It's interesting. We find ourselves either like a pipe or like a lump of coal. When pressure is applied to them, there are two types of reactions that could take place. We find ourselves in this situation in the pressure cooker of life, and we have to ask ourselves a question. Lord, how do I get through this in such a way that will glorify you? And I believe that 1 Peter, and literally the whole book of 1 Peter, answers this question. Here is the big idea, that the pressures of life are certain, but they don't dictate our conduct as believers. And so from this passage, I want to share with us three things that will help us navigate the pressures of life. That will help us as we are in the midst of trials. As we are in the midst of life throwing its best right hook at us. I I want to give us hope in the midst of our temptations, in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of the pressures of life. This morning, I want to talk from this simple topic 
bursting pipes are making diamonds. So the first thing we need to understand is that there's a certainty to the pressures of life. I know that this is not necessarily popular, right? But, but the temptations are, 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 are certain. We see this uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1. If we were to look at specifically in verses 6 and 7, Peter says this, In this you rejoiced, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's verse number 6. That trials or the pressures of life are certain. And in order for us to understand what the context is, we have to do a little bit of historical legwork. We know that this letter is written to uh, believers who have been dispersed. They are living uh, in Rome at this time. And up until about AD 67, Christians lived a pretty unassuming life until Nero came into play. And as my mama would say, uh, his elevator didn't go all the way up to the top floor. This man was nuts. And what we know to be true is that he got into power. He wanted to rebuild the city and oops, a fire took place. And now everyone is looking to Nero because they knew that he wanted to do it. And so in an effort to save face, he blamed the Christians. This man's nuts. I would recommend that if if you're looking for a book to just, uh, I guess it's sobering in, in a way. It's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. In that book, it details how many of the early Christians were martyred for their faith. And in that book, it recounts that Nero would take believers, dip them in tar, and light them on fire so that they would be the lighting source for him to navigate in his garden. Nuts! And it's in this context where Christians are being persecuted, where they are being put into bags with wool or animal hides on them and ravenous animals in there to destroy them. This is the context that Peter is writing to these churches. He's telling them, not that, man, you're going to believe in Jesus and everything's going to be, you know, perfect, but no, that there are going to be trials, that there are going to be pressures. And this flies in the face of this notion that being a Christian means that everything is going to get better. In fact, you have opened yourself up to the real possibility that the trials may be intensified. So they are for sure going to happen. And he tells us, in the context of this, that I need you to continue to press forward. As one of my colleagues would say, life's pressures are not just avenues for the gospel to be seen, but life's conflicts and pressures are avenues for the gospel to be best seen. Take a look at verse 13. I want you to underline two phrases for me, and we're going to have to dive through it. Uh, here, here's the first one. He, he, he says, prepare your minds for action. And then if you were to look later, he says, be sober-minded. Now let's look at this idea of prepare your minds for action. It could be better translated as roll up your sleeves and get a hold of your mind. I I love what one scholar said. He says, uh, essentially Peter is getting us to understand that you got to do away with stinking thinking. I like that. That's good theology. You, you got to do away with stinking thinking. In the midst of the trials of life, your propensity is to allow your mind to play tricks on you. There was a, a great rapper who would say that his mind was playing tricks on him. 
I'll let you do the research to find out who that is. But what is thinking thinking? Because if Peter is saying we need to get a hold of our minds, we need to understand what this is. It's the pessimistic thoughts that you have. Well, God has allowed me to go through this yet again. Doubting God's power. God got me in the midst of this and I don't think that he can get me back out. I've gotten into this situation now and I just don't think that God's strong enough or cares enough to get me out of it. It's all of the carnal thoughts and desires that flood our minds. And Paul lays out the mindset for the Christian in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 4. Uh, I would encourage you to read it. He says this in so many ways. He states that we should set our minds on heaven and not on things of this world. So he says you need to get a hold of your mind because according to Romans chapter 12, he tells us that man, we need to be constantly being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is important that we understand how important it is for us to get a hold of what we are thinking. That thing between your two ears is vastly important. Majority of the fights that you will have will be in your mind, in your thinking. And Peter is telling us through the front door, trials are going to happen. And what's going to happen? Your brain, your mind is going to want you to go to another place. That's not of the Lord. Don't let it do that. But then he says, be sober-minded. I like that. Sober-minded, you know, when we think about sober-minded, we automatically think, uh, don't get drunk. Okay, but that's not what he's saying here. It literally means don't become spiritually lethargic. Don't become spiritually lethargic. Don't get so familiar with the holy that you forget you're in his presence. See if I can make it plain. In optometry, they call this condition visual lethargy. It's just like this. When you drive down the street for the very first time, you notice everything about that street. You notice the color of the doors. You notice how many trees are there. You notice the yards. You notice all of the intricate details as you're driving down the street because it's the first time that you drove down the street. And, And as you're driving down that street, you may be looking at directions, but you're so blown away by what you see. But then if you drive down that same street the fifth time, you you start to forget some of the things that you caught the first time that you drove down that street. You still see some of the good stuff. You still see some of the intricate details, but not everything. The 30th time you drive down that street, you don't care about none of that. You're just only thinking about, man, I got to go down this street yet again. And I know that this is going to take me longer because there is traffic. You have literally uh, blocked out all of these intricate details. And spiritually, this happens to us as well. We get so familiar with the moves of God in our life that we almost become entitled and we look for the mountaintop moves of God. When we forget, as Paul Tripp said, that God is a God of the mundane moments. When you first got saved, you were so thankful that you woke up in the morning. You, you, you saw how God navigated your life in these moments. And, and it was every time you would see that and be reminded of it, it would be like uh, coins in a piggy bank for you. You would remember, man, God, God did this for me and, and God did that for me. And, and you're looking for God in all of these nuances. You're, you're constantly looking for him. But the longer that you walk with the Lord, you begin to get, uh, you, you become entitled. God's going to do that anyway. 
And when trials come because we don't see the mountaintop moves of God, we think that he's not present. Spiritual lethargy. May we never be so sedity that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so doesn't move us. Because it's going to be in these moments of being sober-minded that we will understand that we uh, can put our focus and our hope in Jesus. Pressure of life should point us to Jesus. Being sober-minded and having um, preparing our hearts for the battle that we're going to walk through allows us to focus on Jesus. And verse number 13 makes this clear. That we set our hope fully on the things to come, not just the things that are. That Jesus is coming back. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that we get the end of the story. What helps us under pressure is setting our minds on the future realities, not the present situations. So in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our situations, we are remembering that it is all about Jesus. And the, pro- and the, uh, and the, and the good news is that he's coming back and he will make all things new. It's allowing us to navigate our present realities with the future in mind. Long story made short, one of my heroes, one of my mentors is an avid golfer. He got tickets to Augusta. I'm not a golfer. I sold my clubs. I'm horrible. I'll drive in the cart with you, though. That's fun. I can hook slides, but I'm not a golfer. But he, he loves golfing. And he, uh, he tells a story when he got uh, tickets to the practice round of, I guess, uh, some tournament that's in Augusta. And at that time, Tiger Woods is at his height. And, and he was excited about this opportunity uh, to go see Tiger. It's Thursday when he's watching Tiger. And Tiger's at this place. He's chipping balls onto the green. And, and, and he's noticing something about Tiger. As he's chipping the ball onto the green, he's chipping the ball and it's landing about 20 yards away from the pin placement that is there. And every time uh, uh, Tiger was like pinpoint precision, he's hitting this same spot. It's 20 yards away. And he's fist bumping. He's, he's high-fiving his caddy. And, 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 and my pastor, uh, he, he's getting frustrated. And then he yells out, Tiger, what are you doing? And there's somebody that taps him along the side and says, this is your first time, ain't it? You see, today is Thursday. These are the practice rounds. What you don't understand is that every day the pin placement changes. And for some reason, Tiger must know that on Sunday, when it's championship time, that that pin placement will be somewhere over here. And so he's chipping on Thursday with Sunday in mind. Brothers and sisters, if you're trying to get through the certainty of pressures, we got to have a Sunday mind type of, the, uh, of theology. We got to have a Sunday morning type of view when it comes to the pressures of life. Yes, we are going through mist of circumstances now, but what we understand is that Jesus is coming back and he will make all things new. And so if we go through trials now, that's okay because it's booby trap to set it up so that he gets glory in the, in the, in the midst of it. And it be for your good. But then secondly, we have to understand the shortfalls in pressure. Look at verse 14. It deals with this. In verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is good for us to understand. That Peter is writing to Gentile Christians. So this phrase would have immediately resonated with them. 
these believers were from a culture and a society that was all about sensuality and succumbing to any of the vices that would give them momentary relief. Sound familiar? Peter is making it clear in times of pressure we tend to become amnesiacs forgetting whose we are and whose we belong to. And let's, 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 you know, we, we big boys and big girls, you know, there's some, some children here, but, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm, I'm good. Uh, when the trials of life happen, we're all looking for an escape valve. We're, we're, we're all looking for something to escape from or escape to. All of those things that you say, surely I'll never do that. It becomes real easy to justify, just one more time, it just ain't going to hurt. We're telling ourselves, I, d- I just do this just, just for a quick fix, just a temporary fix instead of relying on Jesus because that's too hard. So what are some of those, I'll just do it one time. It's succumbing to lust. I'm just going to do it one time. Or arrogance. Lying. In a room this size, I'm not a prophet. Extramarital affairs. Substance abuse. Gossip. Workaholism. I'm stressed out, so that means I can just send this text message off. I know I shouldn't, but you know, hey. God knows my heart. I shouldn't send this kind of flirty email to my coworker, but you know, maybe it's watching a tad bit more of that pornographic film or, or looking at that site just one more time. It's going shopping when you know that you don't got the money, but yet and still, I need a release. I need to just escape for a moment. It's endlessly scrolling down the gossip pages trying to find something and, and, and then trying to share that stuff with others. It's, it's being in that buffet line one more time. But you know the problem with that kind of one more time kind of thinking? It always leads to one more time. And one more time. It's like eating Lay's potato chips. You remember that little adage they said, you know, you just can't eat one. You start out and next thing you know, you're at the bottom of the bag and you feel bad about yourself because you got crumbs all over your shirt. You just kept going because you thought that, man, I could just handle it. Many of us were, and maybe some of you, I, I know I was devastated. February 11, 2012, many people were rocked by the sudden news that Whitney Houston had passed away. The darling of R&B had a voice like an angel, was known for her beautiful voice. But what we also know about Whitney Houston is that for most of her adult life, she struggled with substance abuse. She never could quite kick it. And it was always just one more time. In fact, there have been countless documentaries that happened about her life, and even Bobby Brown has, you know, talked about it. His, uh, was his wife at the time, talked about this idea that Whitney would always try to kick this habit, but she would always come back and say, just one more time, just one more time, just one more time. And that night before she passed away, she went one more time too many. 
When doctors did the toxicology report, it came back that she didn't just have one substance in her body, that she had many. You see, unchecked vices, those unchecked release valves, are not like small, cute puppies that do no harm, but they are sinful and seek to devour you. And although the times are tough and the propensity for us is to slip into former vices, Peter gives us another option to combat this real danger. He says, be holy. And I know many of us probably clenched up because you've probably, uh, you know, grew up in a church or been a part of a church that was really, really big on be holy. Told you to white knuckle this thing. Not saying that. But it is a command that God has given his people from the very beginning. I want you to be holy. It is a command, not a suggestion. Be holy. Being holy literally means to be set apart. Do something different. In a culture that's telling you to go one way, being holy means you be countercultural. So how you deal with the trials and the pressures of life should be different than how society would tell you to do it. Be holy. And the only way that you can be holy is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. He's saying, for you, in the midst of your trials, I need you to be drastically different. I need you to come about this thing and find value and find a way to navigate through this totally different. And so it's literally going back to those basics. It's finding a way to cling to Jesus in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your, uh, your, your pressures of life. It's clinging to him and responding in a way that will give him glory. Not because you have to, but because you get to. And the good news about the gospel is that God will give you everything you need to be holy. So it takes drastic changes. In college, I ran track. I ran the 400-meter dash. And one of the things that you know about sprinting is that they're in really all running races. You hit walls. There are these, like, these invisible barriers that we hit. Uh, uh, one of the things that I did is I ran a 400-meter dash. A barrier is the 47-second barrier. There are many runners who get the 47 seconds, and they never can break it. That was me. And so I was working out with the sprinters. Uh, it wasn't working. We did everything we could. It just wasn't working. And so my sprint coach sat me down. And he said, Brandon, look, um, I got an idea. You're not going to like it, but I think it will help us. This is what I need you to do. I'm going to need you to start working out more with the distance runners. And so that means early in the morning, I know you like to sleep in, but you're going to have to wake up and get it some miles in with the distance guys. I'm going to need you to switch out block work for longer repeats. I'm going to need you to do something. Just trust me. I need you to act totally different than what the traditional 400 meter runner will do because I think that this will help you. And it threw off everybody. At one point, my teammates thought, hey, man, you, uh, what you doing, man? You, you, we don't see you no more. And I'm like, I, I, I got to do something different. Y'all see, I ain't nothing happening. And lo and behold, the first meet happens. And I was able to break that 47 second barrier. Why? Because it took drastic changes. I couldn't be like everybody else. What is God calling you to do? What, what are the drastic measures that God is calling you to do? 
to navigate through these pressures well. There's a way that the Lord is calling you and you know what it is. It's just tough work. But then lastly, we have to understand the purpose of pressure. What's the purpose of putting us through this crucible? What's the pressure? What's the reason why we have to go through COVID-19 and racial injustice and losing jobs and losing loved ones and getting cancer diagnosis and heart attacks and all that? Why are we going through all of this? The good news is that there is a purpose in it. There is a purpose that we see in it as the ending of this takes place. In 1 Peter chapter 1, what we see in verses 17 through 21 is that there is this idea that the pressures of life should point us to Jesus. That in the midst of the trials that we face, the allure of Jesus should compel us to stay the course instead of falling for our former vices. He's saying, look, the purpose of these trials is to draw you closer to Jesus. You want me to let you in on a little secret? God uses the pressures of life to sanctify you. To help mold and shape you into the image of Jesus. And what he wants us to do in the midst of the trials. All of this is telling us, focus on Jesus. It's getting you back to the gospel. Or as Paul Miller would say, he's inviting you into the J-curve. He's inviting you into this beautiful dance of the gospel where now you get, to, you get to see what it's like as Jesus was persecuted and went through trials. You get to empathize and be with your Savior in the midst of this. You get to experience this. And God is using these opportunities for you to be sanctified. But he's like, in order for you to get through it, I need you to have an anchor. The anchor is Jesus. Focus on Jesus in the midst of this situation. Focus on Jesus. Look to him in the midst of your tribulations. All of the other stuff is pointing you to this reality. That it should be drawing you to Jesus. You shouldn't be moonwalking from him, but you should be running towards him. Because in the process of the trials, he's buffing off those rough edges. Your life is booby-trapped to give God glory. Even in spite of you at times. And the way that God is going to shape you and mold you is going to be through the use of these trials. It is why James would say, hey, count it a joy when you face various trials. Because God uses it. The beautiful thing about the gospel message is that uh, because of what Christ has done, all of the promises are now unlocked for the believer. So you can look at passages like Romans 8 and 28. You can look at some of these passages that say that you are more than a conqueror. Those are promises for those who have put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if that is true, then we can look at our trials. We can look at the pressures and say, God, I know you're up to something. So I'm going to focus on Jesus. I leave you with this. I used to be a personal trainer. I know, you know, big shirt, I'm kind of small. Uh, but, but I love, that was my major in college was exercise science. I, I wanted to help people get to the desired uh, place that they would want to be. And one of the things that I did uh, as I was helping prepare and get, you know, workout plans together and nutrition things together uh, was that I researched how other trainers would get their clients to hit their goals. 
In one particular study or one particular um, thing that I found was from a trainer. I can't remember where, uh, but I remember reading it and thinking, oh man, this is spot on. This is what he would do. After he had gotten all of the, the, the preliminary things like their height, their weight, he would get their desired outcome. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to lose 40 pounds. I want, you know, want to lose this right here. I want to lose this right here. I want to get muscles. Anything that they wanted. He would take them to a mirror. He would have two markers. The first marker, he would draw their outline. He would have them stand in a mirror and then he would go and trace their silhouette. He would then tell them to take a step back. He would then take another marker and he would begin to draw another silhouette inside of the silhouette of the person. And, and then he would say all the time, uh, the people would be looking kind of off like, okay, where is he going with this? And he would have the people come back and he would tell them, I want you to look in this mirror. The outline on the outside is where you are now. Based off of what you have told me, this silhouette on the inside is where you want to be. And in order for you to get to that inner silhouette, I need you to trust me. I need you to believe that I have your best interests at heart. I'm going to give you things that you don't want. I'm going to have you do things that you don't want. But you have to trust me. And if you trust me, in about 8 weeks or 12 weeks or 24 weeks, you'll be able to look back in this mirror and you will look just like that inner silhouette. Friends, all I'm trying to tell you is that God is doing a work in your life. When you got saved, you literally signed up for God to put you in front of his mirror in glory and he outlined you and said this is where you are but then he draws the silhouette of his son and says but this is where I got to get you to be and so I'm going to turn some things up I'm going to do some things that are not going to make sense but I need you to trust me focus on my son and if you continue to focus on my son I'll get you to where you need to be so that in the end, when you see me face to face, and I say, well done, my good, good and faithful servant, enter into eternal rest, that it will be that you look just like Jesus. And so I leave you with the question that I asked you before. Are you bursting pipes? Because, again, pressure does something interesting. And you get two very interesting reactions if you put pressure on pipes or with coal. You see, a diamond is nothing but... Something that handled pressure well. And a bursted pipe is something that didn't handle pressure well. Which one are you? Or better yet, which one do you want to become? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder. That even in the midst of life's trials, even in the midst of tough situations, I know we're all going through stuff. This is tough times. But Lord, you are good and we know that you are up to something. And so Lord, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying that we would all navigate the pressures of life to give you glory and it be for our good. That we would cling and utterly depend on you because you are good. You're a good, good father who trusts and, and who, who we can trust in, who loves us and who cares for us. And that we know that you're using these things. To conform us into the image of your son. And so Father, I pray that you would encourage, that you would convict, and that you would edify the people here today. That they would be able to walk in a manner worthy of the call that is set before them. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And Lord, we will walk boldly in the midst of the valleys of the shadow of death. Knowing that you are a good shepherd and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. 
We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen and amen.